Uh, look, my name's Steve. If I haven't met you, it's fantastic to have you along in church today. Um, it's uh, terrific that you made the effort to come. Uh, I trust that uh, you'll get something from the Word. You know, as I prepare and come to uh, do this, I, I always feel this enormous sense of inadequacy. You know, the, uh, I feel laid bare before God that I, hey, I, I know that I can't do this apart from God helping me, so I always approach it with a, a great deal of fear and trepidation, to be honest, uh, almost uh, an hour before, I think, I just don't want to go to church today, you know, but here we are, and we'll, we'll, we'll give it a rip, we'll see how we go, but I guess it's probably emblematic of, of a lot of things in the Christian world, you know, we, when we read the Bible, it's a very exacting book, it demands a lot from us, right, we read uh, the, the life of Jesus, and and, and we look at uh, the things that the early church did and I measure my life against that and I think, oh man, just fall so far short. And then, you know, we read scriptures like in Philippians 4.13, very familiar verse which says, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, you know. And there are days when, uh, you know, I just feel like it's a battle just to even do up my shoelaces, you know, like do all things through Christ. Or there's there's this one that Jesus said, you know, I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly, John 10.10, 10, you know, but if we're to be perfectly honest with ourselves, there are plenty of days when we don't feel like we're living that abundant life. And then there's this one from John 14.12, this one nails me because Jesus said this, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. I mean, you've, as I say, you've read the book, right? You know what Jesus did. But he goes on beyond that, he doubles it, it doubles down on it and says, and they'll do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. I mean, man, yeah, I mean, talk about set the bar high. But yeah, when we read those verses and we measure our life against that, I mean, we can feel in, incredibly inadequate. You know, that gap between the scripture and, and, and I'm not saying God's word is anything but the truth. It is absolute truth. And so if there's a gap, then the gap, the problem lies here, right? But it's, our, it's as we grapple with our humanness and uh, I guess in some sense our fallenness really that, that we're, this, this gap becomes, we become acutely aware of it. And if we're not careful, it becomes too confronting and we actually shrink back from it to the point where we allow certain dreams in God that he gives us to shrivel and die. And we tend to put away those things and we don't really necessarily believe that God could work through us. And when we get into that place, we slide into a certain mediocrity, a complacency almost. Because we become so aware of that, that gap between the ideals of God's word and the, our not so ideal lives. But you know, there's a, there is a price to pay if we allow ourselves to indulge ourselves too much in that in that place of um, uh, uh, mediocrity or that complacency because when that happens, there'll come a day when our hearts will just shrivel up and those dreams that God had given us will begin to die and we'll look back on our lives at the end of it all with this stack of regrets that we actually didn't move out and do the things that we knew God was calling us to, opportunities lost to be used by God. And as I say, the scripture is true. So therefore, if Jesus said it, it is possible. When Jesus said, you will do greater things than these, then surely that has got to be true, right? God himself said it in the form of Jesus Christ. But we have to ask the question, well, what does that look like really in our, in our lives? I mean, we, we just struggle to even put a dent in the pile of laundry at times, right? 
in my case, getting, getting to the garden, which is just overwhelmed with weeds at the moment because of all the rains. And, and life has this way of just levelling us back into the ordinary. So in answering that question, what does it look like in reality? Well, I'm going to take us today to a Bible character by the name of Elisha. We heard about Elijah last week, not to be confused, their names are so close and in fact they were contemporaries. But Elisha was the prophetic protege of Elijah who we heard about last week with Matt. But of course Elijah gets 10 times the airtime, the airplay that uh, Elisha gets, right? He's, he's considered the minor player in this. But I want to look at life uh, through, Eli- uh, sorry, the, through Elisha's life. I want to look at, at what it means to be obedient and for us, you know, to, to what God is saying to us, and specifically in our individual situations, about this greater things. Remember that word, greater things shall you do, because I go to the Father, Jesus said. You know, and I'm reminded of that, uh, you know, William Carey is this famous, uh, William Carey was a, a Baptist missionary from the 19th century, if you're not familiar. He ministered in India, and he said this, this now very famous quote, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Oh, that's the call for all of us to actually step up into that. Let's just pray as we open the word uh, together. Father God, open our hearts today and speak to us. Uh, Lord, I pray for those who are disillusioned, discouraged, potentially downtrodden. As we look at the life of Elisha, Lord God, would you speak to us today and encourage our hearts that Lord would step up in faith to pursue the very thing that you've called us into. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so to get things started, I want to take us to that point in the story between Elijah and Elisha. It's actually at the handover point when Elijah is taken up to heaven, if you're familiar with that, and he commissions Elisha to actually uh, go out. And we read about it in uh, 2 Kings. So let's, let's read that. I'm going old school today. You remember these things? You know what they're called? Yes, they still work. Okay, 2 Kings and chapter 2. This is the New American Standard Bible. So um, I think it'll be on the, sc- on the screen as well. So, And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went to Elisha, went with Elisha rather, from Gilgal. Now Gilgal was just across the Jordan River. Remember when uh, Joshua went across, they crossed the Jordan. First place they came to was Gilgal where they circumcised all the males. Ouch. And then from there they went forward. And it says, and Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Now, Bethel's about 20 k's out to the west from that point. So he's trying, I, I get the sense that Elijah's trying to shake Elisha off at this point, right? But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So despite the fact that Elijah's trying to lose, lose Elisha at this point, he's saying, no way, Jose, I'm going with you. So, so they went down to Bethel, verse 3. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. In other words, stick a sock in. You think I don't know? And Elisha, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here. This is in Bethel. For the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Now Jericho is way back next door to Gilgal where he'd just come from. So 20 k's back to the east. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. 
right? So again, he's clinging to Elijah. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached, approached Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? Wow, you know, I think he's starting to get the message. You think he didn't know? And he, because of course he says, and he answered, yes, I know, be still. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here. For the Lord has sent me to the Jordan, which is not too far from there. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. You get that sense that Elisha is tenaciously holding on to Elijah at this point. So the two of them went on. Now, 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance. And while the two of them stood by the Jordan, or while the, sorry, by the two of them stood at the Jordan, and Elijah took his mantle, now a mantle is basically a cloak, if you will, in, in our language, and he folded it together and struck the waters, and they were divided here and there, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Shades of the Jericho crossing, right? Not to be lost on us. Remember the story of Joshua, of course, crossing in the, in the same manner. Now, what I'm saying essentially is that same God that was there at work amongst the children of Israel and crossing the Jordan in the there and then is now at work in their situation in the here and now. Now, it came about that when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me and he said you have asked a hard thing nevertheless if you see me when I am taken from you it shall be so for you but if not it shall not be so and then it came about as they were going along and talking that behold there appeared a chariot and fire and horses and sorry chariot of fire and horses of fire which separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven and Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. Hallelujah. How good's that story? Hey? Eh? Amazing stuff. He wanted a double portion, Elisha, right? He wasn't going to let go of, 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 the, of Elijah in that moment. And so it was that he gets that, the, the, the Spirit of God comes upon him and, and the same anointing, the double portion that he was seeking falls on Elisha and he too is able to cross over the Jordan on dry ground. Now, what we just read is probably one of the greatest examples of mentorship uh, in the Bible between Elijah and Elisha. Six years in the school of the prophets was Elisha under Elijah, learning, clinging to this guy. And the, of course, there are shades in this of the same sort of mentorship that Jesus enacted with his disciples. And when Jesus said, greater things shall you do than me because I go to the Father, that's like the double portion, if you will. When you think about this, when Jesus commissioned his disciples and says, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit on you, it's as if he's putting his mantle on us just as Elijah had placed it on Elisha. And when the Spirit of God was placed on us, we too can do the things that Jesus did because it's the same God at work. The thing you see in Elisha though is this hunger. 
He was not going to let go of Elijah. Three times we're told, you know, that he's not going to let him go because he'd seen that Elijah had worked before and he wanted a close-up and a personal encounter with what God was about to do. He knew his time had arrived and he didn't need to be told any longer. He was in for a penny, he was in for a pound, he wanted the whole hog. He wasn't like uh, these 50 prophets standing off at a distance as a bunch of spectators. Here's Elisha right up and personal. And that sort of hunger, that commitment, that attentiveness to what God is doing is so critical if we're to share in the blessing that God has for us. You know, when it says that Elisha received, you know, he wanted that double portion, interestingly in Scripture, uh, there are 14 counts of Elijah doing miraculous things or prophetic utterances and various other things. There are actually 28 recorded instances with Elisha. So they're exactly double in terms of that. So read into that what you will, but I just thought it was an interesting, an interesting observation. But before we get to that point where the Spirit of God comes on Elisha, I want to take us right back. I want to take us right back to the very beginning of Elisha where we're introduced to this guy. And you'll find him out in some obscure paddock out in the back blocks of nowhere and, and, and just ploughing away, just some ordinary guy ploughing a field, doing ordinary, boring work really, ploughing through dirt between the back end of a couple of stinky old oxen. Nothing glamorous going on, just back-breaking, sweat-drenching, grunt behind a couple of... I don't know if you've ever seen the back end of cattle, right? It's not pleasant. And this guy's riding behind a couple of them. In fact, there's 11 of them up in front, so he's the last one trotting through whatever's left behind. I spent a lot of time on my uncle's dairy farm at Leachville, and uh, man, I can tell you, those, uh, those anything bovine, they, uh, they certainly know how to make a mess. So here he is. Going in at dust and dung, day in and day out. Same routine all the time. But hey, you know, because it, it, it paid the bill. So that's what he did. So let's check it out. Let's go to verse Kings chapter 19 and verse 15. And so the Lord said to him, that is Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Mehalah, to succeed you as prophet. We'll jump down to verse 19. And so Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair, as I say. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak, his mantle, there it is again, around him. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. And go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? I mean, it's a strange sort of expression in our language. You know, what have I done to you? Sort of thing. It's not like that. It was basically another version renders it like, uh, remember what it is that I've done for you or to you today. In other words, when you go back to see mum and dad and say goodbye to them, don't forget the significance of this moment right now. Verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. Good job. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. I mean, talk about radical. This is really 
quite, quite uh, radical stuff. So it's such a significant moment for, for him. You know, this mantle, as I said before, it's like the presence of the Holy Spirit being placed upon Elisha in this moment. You know, but before this day came along, Elisha's start, like, life was just like every other day, you know, get up, get dressed, hitch up the oxen, get the plough, plough through dirt, cough up dust, eat lunch, plough through dirt, cough up more dust, get clean, go home, fall into bed, get up the next morning, start all over again. And so it was, poor guy was in a rut. You know, and that might sound familiar to you. Maybe your life's a little bit like that. Maybe you're just ploughing through life, ploughing through that pile of laundry that I referred to before, you know, just going through the motions day after day after day. When I remember a situation for me, after I'd been to Bible college, this is 2000 and, yeah, 2000 it was actually, I was back working in the secular workforce as an engineer and I, in fact I was in this uh, area of, the um, engineering called asset management and what I was doing I was uh, every day just plowing through masses and masses of data in spreadsheets in databases looking at football footpath and curb and uh, road pavement condition data the same thing day after day after day for me it was wake up get dressed ride to work plow through spreadsheets look through databases make some notes eat some lunch plough through some more databases, make some more notes, ride home, go to bed, wake up the next morning, start all over again. So my life was like that. But then one day out of the blue, I got this email and the, the title on the email was a Macedonian call, if you're familiar with the story from the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul actually has this vision or a dream of this guy from Macedonia say, come on over to Macedonia and help us out. And this particular email came from a man who many of you will know, Paul Craig, who was the former senior pastor of this this church, or this campus at least, when it was only Barrable Hills Baptist Church. And and Paul was inviting me to consider coming up to join him on team uh, as a pastor at Diamond Valley Baptist Church up in Greensboro. And as it turned out, I accepted that call, and ultimately I was thrust from that mundane, ploughing through data, day after day, to now moving into the call of God uh, as a pastor. I mean, it was a radical turnaround, great change. But look, that's my story and yours will be somewhat different. But maybe you're just ploughing through life too, ploughing through a marriage that's lost its sparkle or maybe you're just ploughing through your daily Bible reading and your, and your prayer and it's as dry as chips and day after day, just that discipline. But you know, it's those moments that are so important because when Elisha was ploughing away in those paddocks, God was preparing him. God was building character. You know that scripture that says, you know, when uh, you know, character, sorry, um, perseverance produces character and character hope. It's so important in those mundane routine day and day through the dust and the dung of our own lives and the sweat you know, that, those things which can take a toll on us if we allow God to speak to us in those moments. He can prepare us for the very thing that he has for us. Because God has a way of finding you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly where to find you. And in his time and in his way, 
you will in fact encounter him. And when God puts his mantle on you, when he places his Holy Spirit on you, then that is the beginning because right now, right at that point, it's what happens next which is most important. Because for Elisha, as I say, it's just another day. He didn't have a clue what was about to happen. He had an inkling, I'm sure. I'm sure God had been speaking to his heart in some fashion. But here he is, just ploughing away. All the while, just coughing up dust, going through the motions. God was actually, in fact, speaking behind his back. God had been talking to Elijah. And now, Elijah's in the neighbourhood. And now, he's about to encounter Elisha. And so from that routine of waking up, getting dressed, getting the oxen, ploughing the dirt, coughing up dust, now Elijah arrives. You know, there's a scripture in Psalm 139, which I think really speaks to this, which is, I'm sure you, many of you be familiar with it, which is, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, Elisha? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, even there, your heart, your spirit will find me. You know, God is everywhere. You know, listen to that on the Colin Buchanan with my grandkids. You know, God is everywhere. Guitar. Yeah, it's been driving me nuts this week. The kids have been right into it. But uh, yeah, anyway, you'll be familiar if you're a parent or a grandparent with that stuff. Yeah, but God's presence is always with us and he's always watching. But for Elisha, that predictable beat of his life was about to change and the whole trajectory of his life was about to be interrupted. Let's look again at verse 19, which says this, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. He runs after this guy. I mean, when Elijah rocks up, he doesn't just rock up to have this little farm gate chat about the weather. He, he doesn't just come up and ask him whether he's happy and fulfilled. He doesn't, he doesn't talk to him about the finer points of ploughing. He just throws his cloak over the guy and away he goes. And Elisha didn't know what was about to happen, but one thing I note from this scripture is he didn't hesitate to follow. He lets go of the plough and he runs after the old prophet. And so out of this slow rhythm of the everyday churning through, the ploughing and ploughing, he now, with the cloak being placed on his shoulders, he now causes him to run. So Elisha, Elisha has this responsive heart. And so it must be for us, if God is going to use us, if God will uh, engage us in his work, then we must be attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we must respond in obedience. I mean, at this point, at this point, Elisha didn't have a clue what was going to go on. And so it is, and this is my point that I'd like to maybe leave with you in particular today, is that when God speaks, he's more interested in your full obedience than he is in your full understanding. I'll say that again. When God speaks, he's more interested in your full obedience than he is in your full understanding. We don't have all the pieces. I, 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 I hazard a guess there'd be people here today who've launched out and started a business just off the strength of one word or a sentence or a conversation uh, or, or they've changed careers in, in a similar way because something just kept ringing in their ears and they just knew God was calling them to respond. They didn't have it all laid out before them. They didn't have the roadmap. They just simply stepped out in obedience and as they did, the next step was revealed. 
And that's how it is if we're going to follow God because he doesn't give us the blueprint in front of us. Otherwise, we'd all run ahead of God, right? But the whole idea is that we actually just take one step in front of the other, just respond to whatever God's saying to us next. But I think it's what happens next, which is most interesting in this story and in verse 21, which we read before, but I'll read it again. So Elisha left him, that's Elijah, and he went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. And he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. See, Elisha takes the very means of his existence, the oxen, and he slaughters them and he holds a barbecue for all his mates. But not only so, but he actually breaks up the plough as well and uses it to actually kindle the fire and, uh, and to burn, for the oxen to burn on. I mean, he could have used an old tree stump that he'd grubbed or he, he could have used uh, whatever, you know, uh, a, a, a fencing, um, what do you call them, fence post or something like that, which he found around. But no, he breaks up the plough, the very thing that he's using to, to live his life. And I, I guess the point is this, that he's cutting off, he's cutting off, making a very definitive statement about where to from here. His old life, the things that he depended on to follow, he surrenders unto God. It's a bit like us, you know, that saying, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. So it was for Elisha. And so from this point forward, Elisha's life was going to be very different. And so it is for us when we make that decision to follow after God. It'll never be the same again. When we turn away, I mean, God might call us away from things that are actually perfectly good. But the good things, as we know, are sometimes the enemy of God's best for us. And he calls us to die to ourselves and to lay it down. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so for Elisha, he's making a decisive break into the whatever it is, this new thing. Leaving behind that stale stability, that predictability to follow after God's radical plan for him. No more oxen backsides from this point forward. He was on following God. As I mentioned, this wouldn't have happened for Elisha if he hadn't actually made the decision to give up that life, to follow after God. He would have remained a farmer. And so it is we won't step into what God has for us either if we don't sacrifice the very thing which is holding us back. If old things have not yet passed away, then we won't know what it is. Just behold, all things are made new. Until we set fire to those things, those, those things we've been tethered to in our old life, unless we actually come into that place of surrender, we won't know God's best for us. And Jesus said it like this. He said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. If we, like Elisha, had experienced that double portion, that greater life that Jesus uh, uh, mentioned, you know, greater things you shall do than me because you go, I go to the Father, that won't happen unless we actually leave behind the former things. When we say, here's my life, Lord, I surrender it all to you. Totally counterintuitive, totally radical. We'll feel like we're losing control and the reality is we are. But you know, when we put our, hand, our lives into the responsible hands of God, we'll never, ever regret that. 
And it won't be the end of your problems, burning your plows, but it might, well, actually give you a greater perspective so that you can see the things from a different angle. And it's only a matter of time till we start to experience the double, bless, the double portion of blessing that God has for us. So that's my challenge for us today. That we will actually recognise the call of God on our lives, each one. If you have the mantle of God, if you have received the Holy Spirit, God has already placed his mantle on you and the call is to die to yourself. The call is to pick up your cross. The call is actually to surrender your life to follow Christ. The, the call is to let go of those things which have tethered us and held us back, the things we've relied on so that we might trust in God and walk forward in faith in him. And it might be that today you have not yet come to that point of surrender for the first time and Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling your name today. And it might be you've walked with God for a very long time and yet you've never come to that absolute point of surrender. I want to encourage you today. The very best God has for you, the double portion, the greater things God has for you will only be realised at that point of dying to yourself. So let's just bow our heads for a moment. As we do that, I just want to invite us uh, today, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never come to that place of surrender, you've been walking your own way, you've been going down the pathway of ploughing and life has been routine and it's been messy and it's boring and it's lifeless. God wants to place His mantle upon you. God wants to place His Holy Spirit on you and that comes through relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, while the eyes are, bow, uh, eyes are closed and the heads are bowed, if that's you, if you feel the call of God, the, the tug of the Holy Spirit upon your heart to say, I want to give my life to you, Jesus. I want to surrender. I want to give it over to you. If that's you, I just invite you today. Just raise your hand and show me. No one else is looking right now. I just want to pray for you. Anyone at all. So I, I want to know this, Jesus. I want to know what it is that the rest of you guys have because I can see you've got something. Thank you. I see that hand, brother. Thank you very much. Bless you. Is there anybody else saying, Steve, I want to know Jesus. I want to know his forgiveness. I want this abundant life. I want to know that. Those of us who are Christians who've been walked with God for a long time, if you know there's a, there's a place of resistance in your heart, a place where you're not surrendered, and you know God's been calling you out, you know He's been wanting you to give up something in order to follow Him fully, and you know that thing's holding you back. Today, if that's you, I just invite you too to respond by raising your hand. I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Bless you, God. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for my brother who, for the very first time, has raised his hand to want to follow Jesus. God, I pray that you would meet with him. I just invite you to pray this prayer with me. And pray it in your heart. But if, but if you mean it in your heart, you know, then God will hear it. Lord God, today, I surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I recognise my sin. 
I recognise my failing. I recognise that I've gone my own way and Lord, I have not followed wholeheartedly after you. God, today I surrender myself to you. Take my life, Lord. Forgive me and fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might walk before you with joy and with gratitude from this point forward, that I might know that double portion, that blessing upon my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And for my sister who's raised her hand, Lord God, I pray your blessing on this precious lady. God, as she is surrendering everything over to you, that very thing that you know that you're called to die to. God, I pray that you help her in this moment to strengthen and help her, Jesus. And Lord, you won't disappoint her. God, you never disappoint us. If we surrender anything for you, God, you will pour out so much blessing upon our life that God, I pray that today she will know you in a deeper way, that she might walk into those greater things that you've called her forward into, in Jesus' name. And for the rest of us, Father, encourage us today to be obedient to you whenever you call us to walk out and step out in faith, to follow you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.